Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 52. In today's show, we'll be talking to Ryan Williams about his book, The Influencer Economy, How to Launch Your Idea, Share It with the World, and Thrive in the Digital Age. Ryan's going to tell us how you can share your ideas to differentiate and grow your business and your brand in today's crowded marketplace. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Shai. You know, Craig, one of the things I really love about doing the podcast is we get to collaborate with so many interesting people. It's an amazing variety, and they really have such amazing backgrounds and really add a lot to what we're trying to do, and we can add to what they're trying to do. And it's a nice collection of community of, of friends and professionals. really makes a difference. Yeah, I agree. And it's really relevant for anyone who's trying to grow a business and think about how they can collaborate with other like-minded people to really increase the opportunities for everyone. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of feedback you get and things that you never really thought about completely or seeing things from a different angle. Yeah, you know, and our guest today has really captured the essence of our new economy. And he's Ryan Williams. He's the author of a new book called The Influencer Economy, How to Launch Your Idea, Share It with the World, and Thrive in the Digital Age. Ryan's the founder of Influencer Economy, a consulting group that helps brands and entrepreneurs develop and scale their platforms. He is also the host of Stories from the Influencer Economy, a wonderful podcast featured in Apple's New and Noteworthy in 2015. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Thank you, Shy. Very pumped to be here. How's the book tour going? Uh, the book tour has been incredible. For those of you listening who haven't published a book, even if you self-publish, I highly recommend just the idea of getting your thoughts out there that have been living in your mind, writing them out and getting feedback on your ideas is incredible. So I've just got back to Los Angeles. I was touring the country and I went to San Francisco, Washington, D.C., New York, and Raleigh, Durham, talking to different crowds and you know, seeing the feedback on the book and then giving my talk has been awesome. And how does this change from, you know, of course, you run the Influencer Economy podcast, which has been hugely successful as well. And how does that differ, that experience from being in front of the live audience? It's similar in the sense that a podcast, you connect with people remotely and you're in their earbuds, you know, while they're doing their chores or they're going to bed or they're driving to work. So you, you have the audience interaction, but there's nothing like speaking in front of a crowd. And I talk about in the book a little bit is I used to do stand-up comedy in Washington, D.C., where you live. And I've always connect with live audiences. And in a lot of ways, have ended up professionally in, in 10 years, time to actually get back and talk to people and actually have business practical advice, recommendations for how people can thrive in the digital age. So it, it's remarkably different in that live audiences versus on-demand audiences, but it's similar in the sense that you're still connecting with people. What did you learn from back in those stand-up days that have helped you on this tour? I think I'm pretty good at working the audience. The very first time I'll tell you I did stand-up comedy was in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was this place called Winchester's down in the power plant neighborhood. For those of you who haven't been, this is, you know, 10 years ago. And let's just say a very, uh, not very polite crowd. And so I went up there and had my uh, cheat sheet, which was my beer coaster of my set list of 10 jokes. So I get five minutes in this dark bar. It was smoky because you could smoke in bars back then. And I couldn't remember my first joke, and I got called every name in the book, and I was heckled 
to a level that I've never been made fun of in my life. So now it's like when I talk in front of crowds of people that actually want to learn about business or entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship, there's an element of, okay, it's never going to get as bad as that terrible night at that dive bar in Baltimore, Maryland, when I forgot my set list. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing like getting heckled to prepare you for the rejection of actual customers when you're just venture. It's a lot easier, yes. <laughs> I know are both fans of Seth Godin's The Dip as well as his other remarkable creations. And I'm curious, like back in the stand-up days, did you actually know that you were in The Dip when you were in it? I think for the stand-up days, I was, you know, kind of career pivot where I actually mentioned this briefly in the book. I was a period of depression in my life. And putting myself out there to do stand-up was something I felt like I had to do to keep persevering. And so I actually didn't really know I was going through the dip. I had no idea that that was going to be a big catalyst in my life to change the direction of my career. I thought it was just part of the process of you know recently graduating from college. But no, I, I didn't really identify the dip. I didn't really know the dip existed until I read his book, to be honest. Uh, because most <laughs> people think that we're supposed to quit and then we're a loser if we quit. And that's obviously not the case. So that book really did change my life. And it helped me process a lot of decisions that I made previously. Yeah, no, it's, it's remarkable. And to provide the context, the course of dip is really about the notion of when do you lean in and when do you decide to give up and move on to the next thing, you know, that can inform an even better path for you. And now here you are transitioning to the podcast and then the book. And I have to ask you, you know, this evolved for you? Was this a conscious plan? Yeah, the plan was definitely to have the book be the catalyst for all this. And I always wanted to write a book, but I was so busy with job and my work and family. And so I was at a startup called Machinima.com and you know, have something like 4 billion video views a month. Someone has watched a Minecraft video or a Call of Duty video where someone's playing the games and they're making commentary. That's Machinima video. And these gamers are making six figures a year playing Call of Duty and working at Olive Garden not even maybe high school degree and they dropped everything to just become gamers. And I was so inspired by this that I felt I had podcasts to interview these folks that were starting this movement, but I would never have done the podcast if I didn't have the motivation for the book. And my book was the big vision. I talk about this in the influencer economy in the first chapter about how you need a big vision. And that was my book. And then you also need smaller projects to build your platform to help you fulfill the big vision. And so in tandem, without the podcast, I never would have had the opportunity to write the book by Big Vision because I'm not a journalist. I'm not really a writer by trade. I you know, forced myself to write. And I also needed more purpose with that. But equally so, like without the book, I never would have had the opportunity to create the podcast. So they really work together. But yeah, to answer your question, I did want to start the podcast in order to do research for the book. And as you know, as a podcaster, you interview countless people. So I'm sure you're always reading and listening to books like Craig and I are. And I have to tell you, it's really not awful. It's a pretty good book, Ryan, for someone that doesn't write. Oh, thank you. I, I, like, <laughs> I like the low expectations. <laughs> Just a practice heckle there for you. It yeah, builds, no, I, I'm, I feel like I'm character. back in Baltimore at Winchester. So thank you. <laughs> Welcome home. <laughs> yeah. Feels like I'm at a dive bar. <laughs> Ryan, your book entitled Influencer Economy can you spend a minute describing the influencer economy and how wide it is and who are they? Yeah, so the definition I have, I'll start with an influencer. And in my definition, an influencer is someone who is able to have a niche on the internet where they have a live and loyal following that makes up their community. And this community can help the influencer make a small idea 
game-changing and globally impacting. So seemingly overnight, influencers are changing. And the influencer economy, people that are influencers are out their own ideas, booking their own jobs, building out their own, and defining their own career path based on what they want to do because they're creating their own projects or products. And in doing so, they've built communities and ultimately massively successful careers. And so the book is a chronicle of important leaders of this movement that are self-published best-selling authors like Near Ale, a book called Hooked. I talked to you know, Adam Grant, who yeah, I'm sure you read his book, Give and Take, and Originals, and as well as YouTubers like the Vlog Brothers that many people listening to this podcast probably haven't heard of. But these are two brothers that made web videos, and now they have over a billion YouTube views, and they started this global conference called VidCon for YouTube creators and brands to all come together in Anaheim, California. And, and all these people that, you know, they're doing the heavy lifting and the hard work behind the scenes that it's important to learn from these leaders. Brian, what I'd like to ask is how, as an established business owner, should I be looking at this influencer economy and who I should be contacting or relating with as an influence for my business? It's a great question. And tying it back to the business element of all this is everyone I spoke to on my podcast from in the book or learned from in the process, they built a platform for themselves. And in 2016, I'm a former marketer. Marketers will sell you on social media and the fear that you need to be on Snapchat or Instagram because that's where your audience lives. But really, you need to build a platform for yourself. And if you're a business owner now, I recommend everyone consider writing an ebook and self-publishing it, selling it for 99 cents, starting a podcast and doing a season of episodes in your business field, talking to influencers for eight episodes, or even just low barrier entry, start a blog, but create something strategically that you can access influencers on to help make yourself better, smarter, and wiser. And ultimately, there's a part of the book I talk about the reverse Oprah Winfrey effect, where it used to be you would go on Oprah's show if you were an author. And people listening may remember that she had a book club in the past. And you would become an overnight best-selling author. Or people may remember that the founders of Twitter Biz Stone and Ev Williams went on Oprah's show and it became an overnight success. So back then, Oprah had the platform. But in 2016 and beyond, you can have your platform and you can build it out and talk to influencers and collaborate with them to show you having credibility and social proof in your industry. So I've, I've interviewed Seth Godin on my podcast and you wouldn't believe how many people that's the first thing they say when they go to my website but they don't know that I actually spent a year and a half booking Seth Godin. And he kept telling me he was too busy. And I kept determining that I was going to book him. And I finally talked to him this spring. And all they know is that I talked to Seth Godin. And so in the end of the day, you need to figure out what your platform is and how that can lead you to collaborate with influencers and, and allow you to also draft off influence because they will give you a, a credibility and social proof that maybe can get you better speaking gigs, maybe a higher consulting rate foot in the door to have a conversation with someone that you want to work with. I like that analogy of drafting off of influencers. There's so many industries and so many even hobbies in which you're drafting off of very high-level influencers to learn their methodologies, see their turns and jives, to be able to understand what influence that has on your direction, your implementation. Absolutely. And you can learn a lot. When I gave my talk this summer, I would tell a story about how, you know, Glengarry Glenn Ross is this great movie. For those that haven't seen the movie, it's a, it's a sales group 
and they're doing real estate deals. And Alec Baldwin says, you only get coffee if you're a closer. So coffee's for closers. You know, I got to bring up the Saturday Night Live. You've seen Alec Baldwin on that with the Christmas elves. Yes. And he did they, the parody of that where it's like, always be cobbling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you only get coffee if you're cobbling. Yes. <laughs> it was yeah. a classic. Um, yeah. Alec Baldwin owns this character. Yeah. It's a great movie if you ever worked in sales to get the insight in the ugly, dirty underbelly of it all. And I actually say in, in the modern day, coffee is not for closers. And that if you want to be a closer, you need to collaborate with people. And you actually don't ask people for coffee to pick their brain. Like oftentimes we say, oh yeah, I want to pick that guy's brain. Like I'm sure you get emails where people want to pick your brain. Don't pick my brain. Like I don't want that. That feels like it's some sort of extraction. But come <laughs> to me with an idea to collaborate on. In the YouTube world, there's a term called collab. And that is short for collaboration. And I actually love the term collab because it means what it means, where we collaborate, we work together, and it's a win-win for both of us. And so you need to make your asks for people never a favor you need to make them a collaborative effort. So in the YouTube world, let's say, for example, Shy, you have a YouTube channel with a million views and you're a super influencer and you talk about business lessons for entrepreneurs. And let's say I'm a small business YouTuber and I talk to people about business shoe products, right? And I only have 5,000 subscribers. Well, the collab is when Shy invites me on his show and he opens up my audience to his because his million subscribers get to see me, this very niche shoe creator of content around shoe business videos. But then he comes on my channel that I have this big influencer, Shy, that does entrepreneur content for a million subscribers. So even though my audience is smaller, it's a niche and it's specialized. So Shy can actually develop a deeper relationship with them. And I can go on Shy's channel and reach a broader audience and actually get more popular. And that collab mutual win-win is something that I work very hard to practice on. And that's a true trait of influencers is they collab with each other. So when you ask someone to coffee and you just want advice, that's okay. But why not bring them your product you're building or show the PowerPoint deck or ask them for feedback on something because you want people that are influencers, especially to give you advice because then they become best and they want to help you succeed. So then maybe in a year or six months later, when you actually have a bigger ask, they're like, oh, I remember you. You're the guy or gal that showed me their PowerPoint, or I saw the alpha of your product, or you told me you're writing that book and you showed me the cover. And so always ask to collaborate and don't just ask for coffee anymore. Yes, it's such a fresh approach and it really sets you up as partners from the beginning. Absolutely, because you never want to ask someone for a favor. And influencers don't ask for favors because they don't want to feel like they're on the hook for something that the other person has to repay in the future. And so you want to set people up to say yes. And even if you're working in sales or in marketing or any part of your business, if you do cold outreach like I do, like I'm sure you all do, like I emailed Seth Godin, one of our favorite authors, cold email to get him on my podcast. Hale, who I just mentioned earlier, cold email. And these are people I develop relationships with because in my email copy and in my subject line, I collaborated in the language. So they didn't say no. They didn't always say yes, but they just said, let's keep the conversation going. I want to have people be able to reject you. Because you, even if someone isn't ready, they may be ready in six months or even a year. You got you to think about the long game if you want to work with influencers and become one yourself. Because you want to get that long-term investment by sharing your idea with people that not only can make it better because they're smart, but they also want you to succeed in the long run. And an example I'll give you is my book. I ended up giving it out for free to people on my email list and friends. And my wife said to me, why would you give your book out for free? You're an idiot. Like That's a terrible business practice. And I said, no, I want to give it out for free because my book's coming out in two months. 
and I want to get feedback to make it better. And so I offered anyone who read a chapter of the book to give me feedback. If I used the feedback, they would get an acknowledgement in the back of the book, and they were an editor. So I ended up getting 50 people to read the book. I sent them all a Google Doc. They made changes and then tracked the changes. Then people gave me amazing feedback. And I pivoted part of the book and I changed to make the business rules stand out more. And surprisingly to my wife, the first people on social media and the first people that would help me to make introductions to get the book out to more people were the ones I gave it out to for free. You just blew my mind with this concept of crowdsourcing. That is genius. And when you said we're collaborating on the Google Doc, were they all working in the same doc? Some people were. So they could see each other's edits as well? Yeah, some people were. And some people I gave it more siloed because I was somewhat skeptical. I don't want people to like be impacted by other people's crowdsourced edits. And so skeptical is not the right word, but I ended up, some people were like, I agree with the keel. <laughs> like this is, take this out. This is not good. Um, and so some people had their own Google Doc, sure. but there, a lot of the had the same document and would totally team up on me and tell me that things were bad. So actually it wasn't my own idea. I got the advice from people on my podcast to help make it better. But what I found psychologically was people really wanted me to succeed more just by giving. Yeah, that's amazing. It's great to see you have those results. Yeah, it was incredible. And then in the end, the book is better because of them. Yeah, I credit the crowdsource editing to Benihana effect. Have either of you been to Benihana? Sure. Are they still around, though? I haven't seen one lately. Oh, they're, they're still around, and you can't go through an MBA program without <laughs> discussing Benihana. <laughs> but I love, I love Ryan's take on it in the book. He brings up a whole different notion other than just how to cue people for tables. So the Benihana effect is when you cook with your community and you collaborate your process, open up the creativity, so you give your community the alpha version of your product. You give something early to your top customers and say, hey, I'm building this product for you in the future. Tell me what you think so we can make it so it's better in the long run and you enjoy the product ultimately. You go to Benihana, you sit down with a bunch of strangers. By the end of the night, you're laughing with these people and you're having a good time. The chef is you know, doing fun knife tricks and they're watching you cook and prepare the food, which is counterintuitive to any restaurant you go to. Some restaurants have open kitchens, but the majority of them, they're closed off in the back. So you do not see how your food's processed or cooked. So Benihana, the chef lets you in. It's an enjoyable experience. And more importantly, you're in a collaborative environment with people that you come with to the restaurant you don't know. And you're all laughing by the end of the night. So in the Benihana effect, as a product maker or someone who's leading a business, when you let people share everything with people that you want to work with, but you collaborate with them, and you get their feedback, you make it better, and you even introduce people to other folks that are fellow customers. Like I think an underrated element of business is if you can grow someone's network because they are using your product and they meet someone in a similar business because they're also using your product, in the end, you want to create a collaborative environment where your customers feel like equals and they feel like they're part of the process. So you're not just building something in your garage or in your office, you're actually building it with other people. Yeah, Ryan, this sounds so much like another experience that Shai and I have is jam sessions. You're pulling together complimentary musicians that have good backgrounds, and you're pulling them together to try out something, and somebody starts a segment going on, and maybe a beat, or there's a few chords going on, and everybody starts contributing, sort of like the old stone soup principle, if you will. And it gets better, and it gets polished, and it starts working, and everybody's brain starts diving into the initiative. So I love this program you're working. Yeah, it's a, definitely a musically inspired jazz improvisational thinking where the more collective talent you get into a room, 
even if they're not all stakeholders like you are as the business owner, that your work's really going to get better. It's why we all have friends in different business fields that we get feedback on and advice from because like the era of building a garage or all by yourself, like I think for entrepreneurs, especially we have this vision of moving to Silicon Valley and building the next Instagram in our garage. And that's just not real anymore. And you have to get feedback and grow and have jam sessions with colleagues, former colleagues, people whom you trust to make everything better in the long run. And, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, but the more people help you earlier on the process, it's like finding that band, you know, like, oh, yeah, I remember like Dave Matthews band, for example. You know, now they're extremely mainstream. But back when they were at UVA and playing college concerts and touring in the early 2000s, I remember friends saying, oh, I used to see them in a bar in Charlottesville now, of course, right? Because they had to say that. But in the end, like you, the more you get people to invest early, when Dave Matthews' band becomes famous, it's cool to say, oh, yeah, I, I knew those guys when they were playing bars in D.C. So you want to think about that with letting people into the jam sessions while you can, especially while your idea is nascent and still forming and potentially working with your customers to get a valuable product out in the long run is the ultimate goal. Well, Ryan, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today and thinking about the book and hearing you talk about the effort that you put into it. I have to ask, you've interviewed countless influencers and entrepreneurs, business owners. Are there any universal truths or maybe some myths you can dispel that you learned in the process? Uh, one myth that I dispelled during the process is that people think celebrities are the key to any product endorsement and celebrities don't move the needle. We don't have celebrities anymore in the traditional sense because you can't pay someone to endorse your product and expect sales. It's just not how the internet is built. And that's where the majority of our e-commerce goes on. And the influencers in your field, people always ask me, how do you collaborate with an influencer to make it a win-win? And can I say, look, you need to go very specific in your field. And to use my branding term earlier, like if I'm a shoe YouTube creator that was on shoe commerce, then I need to find the influencers. I don't need to find a celebrity or even a style influencer that's a very famous person, I need to go very specific in my niche, in the vertical that I'm looking to collaborate in to find someone that's very specific for my goal. Because celebrities, even you know, famous YouTubers or podcasters like Mark Maron or Nerdist or whomever, if you can find that very, very, very focused influencer, then that's how you can make an idea into a game changer. Well, Ryan, it's been quite a journey for you, and we really wish you luck with this book as you continue on your path. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? So if you want to go to influencereconomy.com slash business owners, I will have a free chapter of the book for anyone who goes there. So again, that's influencereconomy.com slash business owners for the free chapter of the book. Our guest today has been Ryan Williams, author of The Influencer Economy, How to Launch Your Idea, Share It with the World, and Thrive in the Digital Age. You can learn more about Ryan and download a free chapter of The Influencer Economy in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.